I have breaking news that I'm excited to share with you. The Competitive Mindset Apparel is now available for sale. Offering short and long sleeve shirts, along with sweatshirts, you can find the product online at competitive-mindset.com or via our social media accounts at CompetitivePod. This flash sale is only available for a limited time. Get your gear today to keep yourself in the competitive mindset. That's the joy of sports is that it's unknown that it's unpredictable it's fun to compete welcome to the competitive mindset podcast each interview we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation competitiveness and mindset these conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning improved performance and a look inside the competitive mindset The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Coach Bender, welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. We were chatting a bit before catching up on some old times. So so let's start with uh, some of the beginnings. Let's walk us through your journey and how it's led you to what you're doing now. Definitely. Well, it comes back to when you were in high school and I was in high school, I guess. You know, Cambridge High School, Waterloo High School. But I grew up farm town um, right outside Madison, Wisconsin there. And, and we both kind of had similar backgrounds with that. But, you know, I, I knew at a young age that being a 5'8", uh, average player in high school that I probably wouldn't be able to play in college and knew I wanted to get into coaching. And so a funny story, I was watching UW-Madison play, and there's a guy named Tanner Brunson my senior year in high school, you know, and he was a manager, and he got on the team at Wisconsin. I was like, man, that's what I want to do. And, you know, I, I ended up getting on at the University of Minnesota as a student manager and haven't looked back since. So just since my 16th year in college basketball, was a manager, then a GA, then a video coordinator for Tubby, Dan Monson, and Jim Molinari, respectfully, and spent eight years at Minnesota. During my time there, I knew I wanted to coach and kept getting denied jobs. So I uh, was always told, hey, you got to coach, you got to recruit, you got to coach, you got to recruit. And so I actually took a you know part-time job at Missouri State West Plains, a junior college in Missouri, Division One, and uh, you know learned how to coach and recruit in essence. And one year there, had 12 Division One players on our team. It kind of parlayed into a director of operations job at a mid-major at Appalachian State, which is in North Carolina. I worked for Jim Fox, who was a Davidson disciple. And uh, Coach Fox, you know, known for recruiting Steph Curry to Davidson. And we ran a very similar system, very complex offensive system. And, you know, became very detail-oriented there and, you know, basically helped run the program so the coaches could coach as an ops guy. And then I, I wanted to coach again. And so I had a good friend that worked one of our camps in Minnesota, Thomas Gray, who just took the top assistant job at McNeese State, was at Ole Miss this past two years. Uh, but Thomas told me, hey, you know, I'd love for you to come be my assistant. I won't be here long. You probably have a good chance of being a head coach in a year. And there it was. Ten months later, I became a head coach at a junior college called Southwest Mississippi Community College. Just finished my third year there. You know, I've had a lot of ups and downs, grown a lot, and 
you know, really enjoy being a head coach and, but never in a million years would a farm kid from Wisconsin end up coaching Juco ball in Mississippi, but here we are. And that's kind of where I've, you know, started and where I'm at right now. So you mentioned in there getting denied jobs and having people tell you, you need experience, you need to coach, you need to recruit. Can you talk to me about your mindset with leaving the division one high level and going to a junior college level? Because people often associate junior college with lower or less than and being able to cut your teeth is really important because you do need the experiences to do those things. So w- why did you make that decision outside of, you know, being needing to coach? And where was your head at when you did that? I was scared. <laughs> you know, you, you second guess everything that you do when it comes to making moves. And but once you do it, you got to be two feet in and you know, people say grass is greener on the other side. I don't truly believe that. I think it's greener where you water it and where you work for it. And, and when I say that I you know, throw my hat into different jobs and things, you know, I've probably applied or interviewed at over 60 jobs in the last 16 years in some capacity, even high school head jobs when I was first at Minnesota. And it kept coming back to the same answers. It's like, you know, maybe in the business world, we well, haven't had an internship or you haven't had these experiences. Well, why are we going to hire you? Well, it's like contradictory. You know, it's, it's a, a two-edged sword. And you know, one of the things in college coaching is you have to be different. You have to figure out what your niche is and who you are as a coach. And for me, I knew I was good with people. I knew I could develop, like I learned basketball inside out. So, you know, I learned how to run a program from the bottom and kind of growing my way through it. And the coaching part, you know, actually having coach in your title and actually going on the road recruiting and creating those relationships with people uh, outside of your little town or, you know, your regional inside out area you have to be different. And for me, taking a pay cut twice, you know, I turned down going to Texas Tech in essence to be at a JUCO, like that doesn't make sense. But you have to invest in yourself, you have to, you know, take that leap of faith and gamble on yourself. And I always tell my kids when I recruit them, your future is nothing to gamble with. When you're a head coach, or you're at, you know, a place like a junior college where you get to every year do three times as much and grow faster. I think it was a better term, you know, thing for me long term. Short term, yeah, took a pay cut, yeah, <laughs> you know, being at a different level. But at junior college or even a GA at like a lower level division two or, you know, NAI school where you actually get a recruit as a young coach is way better than sitting in a room and being the eighth guy in that room at a division one. Yeah, it's cool to play on TV and those materialistic type things and flying on private planes. Of course, I miss that life. You know, I'm getting chicken tenders on a bus instead of, a, you know, three meals a day that are catered into you. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to invest in yourself. And I know where I want to be long term. And I think that's the most beneficial thing for me at a young age. You know, I'm the youngest head coach in our league. And, you know, I'm one of the only coaches not from Mississippi of the 15. So you have to step outside your comfort zone to, in essence, take a step back to take two steps forward. Yeah, you pulled the words right out of my mouth there. Take one step back in order to take two steps forward. And there's so many opportunities to get experience. I want to go back a little bit further because I think the manager position at a school is something that more people should explore. How did you go about getting that opportunity? And then from there, what did you do to make the best of that opportunity for yourself? Yeah, good question. So I was right at the time of like internet being prevalent and so you can look on a website and find an email address or you know find the address of the office where now everything's just easy to find but at that time my uncle played football 
at the University of Minnesota. His friend was Melvin Newborn. And Melvin was like one of the top assist guys at Minnesota in school history. And I literally called this guy up at um, 18 years old, scared out of my life to call up some guy that good college player and pro player. And he's like, oh, yeah, just go to the office. And, you know, the guy in charge, his name was James Ware. Just find James and say, you know me. And I was like, that's it. And he's like, yeah. So I go to meet James. My dad, I remember it was on my uh, freshman, what do you call it? Like the orientation, like the that first summer before he actually went there and, you know, he learned how to, you know, read a map and met some people, did some team bonding activities or whatever they call it, you know, icebreakers and stuff. So I go to the basketball office and the guy isn't there. And the lady gave me the phone number and you're thinking, oh, I got a phone number. No, it's the office number to the school. But I called literally for, you know, once a week for like two months over the summer and never got a hold of the guy. I left notes. I wrote him emails and and never really got a response. And so my first day of school, my freshman year, I went in and I was taking a class. It was like a one credit class. It was like exploring your major. And the first day you had to read like the first chapter. And it's like, hey, regardless of money, what's your dream? Go do it. And I knew I wanted to coach college basketball. Like I knew it. And I was an elementary ed major. Literally that next day, I went back to the basketball office and I waited until I could talk to the guy. He's like, uh, we don't have a spot right now. The week later, went back again. Week later, went back again to the point where he was so annoyed that I kept coming in there. He's like, just let me see your class schedule. He goes, I don't have any money. I said, I don't care. And so it ended up being my class schedule worked out perfectly. I like missed like 45 minutes of a practice on Tuesday, Thursdays for my stats class. And But I ended up going. And, you know, after my freshman year, they like voted me the hardest working guy on staff and let me go to the Big Ten tournament. And I thought I was like, the king of the world, you know, going to the Big Ten tournament as a young guy. But, you know, it, it, a manager is something that, you know, there's a variety of ways why people do it. One, they're trying to get into sport management or they're trying to get in. Maybe they want to be like a groupie, you know, they want to be a part of a team just like they were in high school and travel and get the gear and those types of things. And then there's people like myself that wanted to coach. And it's like a free pass every day. It's like a that was more fun to me than school. That was more fun than anything else that I could be doing was going to practice. And I still have my binder for my first year of every practice plan, every scouting report, notes I took. And most of the time I was filming practice. Like just think about how lonely that is of me just filming the practice, sitting up there, writing things down, listening to quotes the coaches would say, and, you know, try to learn through osmosis. And here I am 16 years later and take great pride in my managers and stuff. But it really kind of depends on what you're looking for. But for me, the manager position was a way to get into coaching and meet college coaches, be around college players. And then, you give an 18 year old kid a key to a gym in the big 10. It was pretty cool. You know, take your friends in there at night and those types of things. It was a good time. It was nice to have a key and, you know, have a shooting machine and those types of things. It was always fun. So you said the word scared. And as you were talking earlier, I thought about the word confidence. And it's interesting because a lot of people will run into that wall or that hurdle that you ran into trying to get into being a manager and just stop because it's too hard or too difficult and being able to find that confidence within yourself, even though you don't have it. And I always like to use the word fake it till you make it right. Like show the confidence on the outside and keep going forward and keep that confidence to, to get you where you're going and going forward. So I, I really appreciate that story and thanks for sharing that. So let's go back even further. Now, tell me about the first time you remember competing in a competition. I, hated losing and i loved to win as a kid in anything that i did whether it was like playing monopoly playing a card game 
you know, beating my dad and anything that I could. And then I had a little brother who was three years older and I'm not going to lie. So by the time he was in middle school, he hated sports so much because I never let him win in anything. We always competed in everything that we could do. You know, I remember little, little baseball and t-ball and those types of things. My dad used to tell me that I would get mad. So in t-ball, you were only, you would hit the ball and you could only run one base. And I was so mad that I couldn't keep going. And he said, I like threw like a temper tantrum when I was like first grade and I would get mad and I would like lap kids on the bases. Cause I said like, that's not the rules of baseball. Like I'm watching regular baseball and they're like telling me I can't do something. I would, I would get frustrated and things like that. But you know, competitively, I've always been, you know, what you would call a competitor. I've always hated to lose. You know, it's kind of changed over time. You know, when you're a little kid, you know, you think that's what's most important. You know, that's how I was, in essence, raised or raised myself. You know, I guess my mom used to say that. So, you know, it is what it is. So that fire and that competitiveness has two directions, good and maybe sometimes bad. How do you balance those out in your life and your career? That's a good question. I think it constantly changes and you have to evolve with your changes. You know, society's changing. Your life is changing. You know, I most recently had a kid, you know, getting divorced. Um, you know, I came from a family of divorce and, you know, it affected me. So there, there's different things that, you know, the good things and the bad things that happen in your life will dictate what happens moving forward, you know, but giving yourself time, space and opportunity to react in a competitive setting is very, very important. And something that I kind of didn't really learn. So I became a head coach, you know, the win at all costs, what are your values? What are your truths as, as a human being? Uh, what do you believe in most? And once you know those truths, it's easier for you to move forward and, not be attached to those outcomes, whether it's win or lose. You know, we say in our program a lot, you know, there's winning and there's learning. But in essence, you're learning from both. And if you don't take the opportunity to learn from your wins, um, you're doing yourself and your team a disservice. So, you know, for everything that you do, you have to have a purpose. Everything that you do, you can learn from it. And you just got to continue to learn and grow. And, you know, if you're on the right end of a scoreboard, you know, coaching, you're obviously graded by whether you win or lose. And so there is value in that to say that there isn't. Um, but from a competitive standpoint, I think over time, I've kind of become more competitive with myself rather than outside sources, uh, more or less, you know, things that I can actually control because there's so much in our world that we can't control. And you're finding that out full swing right now in our society. You know, what you know, can you control that effort, your attitude, your focus, your communication with other people, you know, how you present yourself is it can't just be a front. It's, you got to do it every day. Every day is game day. Every day is the Super Bowl. You know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And, you know, if that's competitive and that's just winning, I think that sometimes that can go down the wrong path and is going to lead you in a direction that, you know, not always doing the right things to win. So, yeah, I think that's really important to understand. You have to have diversity and experiences to be able to learn those things so you can move forward from them. And part of your journey and why I talked about, you know, going to the junior college level and getting those experiences is I feel that that was probably a very crucial part in your transition because you now had all those other experiences rather than just what you had with you at Minnesota prior to that. We've talked a little bit about things changing, right? So let's talk about success and tell me how, what, how you regard your mindset of success and how, what it was and how it's changed to maybe what it is now. I think your definition of success needs to constantly change and it, you know, it matters because you always have a boss in some capacity. So like me, I have an AD or a president that cares about 
what it is. I think your values have to align with the place that you're at and the people that you bring in and what you determine as quote unquote successful. That definition needs to be clear and concise with the people around you and what you expect. So, you know, success has changed. I would say like I was a little bit more materialistic as a younger person. And even in our society right now, what we prioritize is technically probably not the best thing. We prioritize popularity, likes, following. And it's like a front that you portray in social media of what you see and what you put out there. They're like, oh, coach, you had a great year. Yeah, because I only post when I win. Like, you know, different things like, you know, different things, the success stories of your players or accolades that you get. And in reality, I know you had Scott Savore on here the other day, but you know, just being present is being successful. Being being present means that you're living simply. You have clarity of who you are. You're focused on what you can control. Those things we just talked about, effort, attitude, focus, communication. And then becoming really good and elite at those things and creating more leaders rather than followers. To me, that's what success is. And I think being a great listener on top of that, you know, I think, you know, fighting complacency. We all are lazy in some capacity and we can just Life is about perception sometimes. So you can persuade yourself or other people or put on a front. You can literally lie to yourself all day long. And success to me is like, you know, continuing to put, you know, your foot on that gas pedal, continuing to push yourself to be uncomfortable, continuing to put yourself in a position where you're continuing to grow. Because once you stop growing, you know, you know, or stop learning, you're going to be dead. And for me, being the best version of myself would be what I would determine success. You know, obviously you want to win a championship and be at the best of your uh, conference or league or division or whatever that is. But if you just focus on outcomes, you'll never technically have any success because it's either championship or bust. And if that's the mentality you have, like you're going to be miserable if you're attached to those outcomes all the time. Right. And think about our different stages of our life and how we set goals. For example, when you're in high school, your goal is to become a manager at the University of Minnesota. Had you stopped there and never set another goal, you would not have been able to progress and move forward. So, yeah, we work to get towards these outcomes that we're trying to achieve. And then we have to take our experiences from there and formulate a new goal moving forward. So you've mentioned these words a few times now. Effort, attitude, focus, communication. Yep. I'm just going to pick one for time's sake here. How do you teach focus to your players? It's a great question. Um, so I'll use a couple different stories. So things that we try and do in our program is we try and make everything tangible where they can touch it. My job as a leader or a coach is not to tell someone to do it and they do it. My job is to create an environment where the culture buzzword, but the culture, uh, in essence leads itself. And so anything you could do to make things tangible. So we have like a toughness belt or a, a hard work, you know, hard hat challenge. Um, I use different gimmicks and like we have a temperature stick with emotional intelligence, you know, green, yellow, red. We have a energy vampire, a Dracula that we carry to practice. And we give that vampire out to people that are bringing our energy down and we make them sit on the bench stories, you know, cause that's where you're going to be if you have that type of attitude. So there's different things that we do to try and control those things. From a focus perspective, we've done a couple of things. We did a face score. A good friend of mine at Iowa Western, Chad Van Reesen, used to work with me at West Plains, you know, kind of came up with the idea of it and I kind of modified it in my own version, but it was your focus, attitude, communication, and effort score. And you would give it to them 
each individual, we voted as a staff afterwards. After practice in the huddle, sometimes we ask who had the best focus. If someone comes to one of my practices, which typically at the junior college level, you have a lot of coaches coming through. We had over 100 coaches come through my, not this past year, but the year before because of COVID. And I would ask those coaches, hey, who had the best focus? It's, it's very unique to find what you, you know, you'll, what you'll see when other people say it, who is a neutral person, you know, cause you got to get in your own little thing and you're afraid of feelings and what people think. And, you know, you, you can't be like that. But from a focus perspective, uh, being present, you know, we have pictures in our locker room of what effort, attitude and focus look like. So for focus, we have the Spurs looking Popovich in the eye in a team huddle. We have Kevin Garnett. You know, it's like an NBA finals picture and he's literally just like staring at the camera like he's ready to go through their skull in some capacity. And then that picture of Dean Smith and Michael Jordan is in our locker room as well, where Dean, you know, Jordan is looking Dean Smith in the eye. He's focused and present and where his feet are and flushing out all those other things that's going on and only a worry about those things. And I think of you, you're focused or you're locked in or you're present. You're not worried what other people think, and you're going to have more clarity, and you're going to perform at a higher level if you're only worried about the things that you can't control. You can't control the, the the referees or different things like that, or the score, or what people say in the stands, or you know anything that happens. That I, I sub you out, you know those types of things. So, you know we we have a goldfish mindset in our program as well. Goldfish is either the dumbest animal or the happiest animal on the planet. It's got three second memory. And that goldfish, we everybody had a little tiny goldfish that they could carry around them. We had a big blow up goldfish that we traveled with. You know, it's just, hey, you know, get to that next play. Be focused on, you know, what, what happens next. What's the next, next best action? The NBA, next best action. Or what is the MIT most important thing moving forward? And that helps us with our focus. I would dive into the goldfish, but I'm scared about where your players took that thing and some of the things that happened with it. <laughs> no, we we won a playoff game this year, and on the road, we were, we were not supposed to win the game. And so we after the game was over, you know, like they spray water on you. That's like the new thing is the water bottle celebrations. So I had the goldfish in my hands, and we were joking that he was like swimming because like I just got drenched. I just got drenched. My, I don't know if my suit ever will recover, but. You know, just you bring that goldfish in there and they are celebrating. It'd be a goldfish, good, be a goldfish. And even though it's like funny and goofy, you know, goofy is enemy of fun. But if you you have fun in what you're doing and the kids adapt to what you're trying to accomplish and what you really value, um, they'll pick up on it. And and it spreads, you know, and culture is what it looks like when the head coach isn't there. And you'd be surprised. Like we had a week camp a couple of weeks back. And I was just so proud of our guys, even though we didn't have outcome-based the best season that I thought we could have with injuries and COVID and you name it, something happened to our program this year. But you watching my kids interact with these younger guys and teaching them and, you know, our core values of passion, humility, discipline, like they, they latched onto it and they taught other players that were in our state what that looks like. And it just made me happy as a coach to watch them teach the drills that we do. They didn't even need our coaches. And to me, that's what strong culture is. That's what it means that they were focused throughout the year. They learned something. They took something from it. And to me as a coach, that's that might be success. That is success. Awesome. So you talked about winning a, a playoff game or whether it's with your career and competing. Are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning when it comes to the outcomes you're searching? 
I think it's a little bit of both. And kind of like I said before, the younger me was obsessed with winning. And when you become a head coach, so like this is, this is kind of full circle here, but as I've kind of worn every hat. So when you're an assistant coach, you think you care. Then you become a head coach and you're like, whoa, like I genuinely really, really care. Then you become a parent and you're like, whoa, now I really, really care. And the level of care matters. And I think that it's encompassing of all of it. And that's the joy of sports is that it's unknown. that It's unpredictable. It's fun to compete. You know, you get kind of a pass in sports. Like in hockey, you can fight someone in the streets. You can't like with it's just backwards how we think about it. But it's joy. It's entertainment. And I think I will never outgrow the love of competing, you know, with myself, with, you know, the basketball brain, trying to outwit, outwork, outperform people. You know, that stuff's challenging and stimulating to me. And that's my care, you know, in a, in a way, you know, obviously there's more to it. As I've gotten older, you learn what those things are and what you really value and you continue to grow. You just got to keep getting better and try and lead the right way. And to me, that's winning. You know, it's joyful to see your culture being retaught, like we just talked about. But I think that there's, I wouldn't say I've ever been afraid to lose, but you can see what everyone's been trained between TV, what they watch, how they've been coached growing up. You have to unteach a lot of things when you get to the college level or how you want your program to be viewed or performed. And it's really hard at the JUCO level because every year you get 10 to 12 new players. You know, you have to become faster at it. You know, that's one thing that I would say that I pride myself in is, you know, I'm really good at accelerated growth and development for humans. And as basketball players, we've had nine, eight right now, there'll be nine here in a week but eight guys that have signed division one as freshmen leaves the United States at a school called Southwest Mississippi community college who doesn't even have, you know, we have almost full rides, but you're piecing together packages and different things for scholarships. And then there's schools that have 12, 15 full rides. Everything's paid for and they're And I'm putting out more division one kids in one year. So something's backwards there, you know, something's backwards there, but that's something that I've really prided myself on is, you know, that joy of all of it combined. And losing is a part of it. Losing is lonely, man. When you're a head coach, it's lonely up there when you, you feel like everyone, you know, but no one cares as much as you do. And if you don't care the most, you should probably get out of the business. Yeah, the emotional roller coaster as a head coach, and you laid that out perfectly, the transition from your care as an assistant to a head coach to a parent. And I went through that and I can totally relate with you. I was kind of laughing to myself. It was like, yeah, you don't know it until you go through it and you have to get that experience, which is what we keep coming back to here. So you've mentioned a bunch of ideas here and I, I love them. The goldfish, the vampire, the belt, the pictures you have of focus as examples in your locker room. So those are all ideas. And I'm sure you've had a ton more ideas that you haven't implemented. So can you talk to me about how you change ideas and move them into action? Model the way and do the work. You know, I think I've kind of gotten to where I am by working really hard. And I'm nowhere near where I want to be because I still have to work harder. And I think your ideas over time is that you think that you're better. There's a lot of highs and lows and you may think that you're better than you are, or you may think that things are worse than what they really are. And for me, trying to find that balance um, is an idea that I've continued to develop 
and give yourself time, space, and opportunity to react. But the modeling the way and how you communicate with other people is really probably the most important life skill besides that being present and being around people every day that you love and care. So you have the most time to spend with those people and developing those habits. But, you know, the idea and the action, you got to model the way. If you're not doing it as a leader or a coach every single day and everything that you do, you're literally lying to yourself and your players in your program, in your assistants, in your you know, managers, whoever's in your program. And you have to have that type of value mindset every day of modeling the way, work extremely hard, and then do it what you believe is the right way. Everyone's definition of the right way is different based off how you grew up, what you value, those types of things. And in my culture, people know what the right thing to do is. Are we going to be perfect? No. But if we're not perfect, we have to strive towards what we're trying to accomplish. And that's, you know, be the best version of you, continue to grow, develop, focus on those things you can control. And in turn, I think that helps you get the quote unquote outcomes that you're looking for. And I think that's the idea that has, you know, paradigm shifted from, hey, winning is the most important thing. How do you win? Instead of what's the most important thing for you as a person? And how can you translate that into doing all the right things, which will, in essence, the results will take care of themselves. And even though it's hard for me to say that because I'm, you know, a sub 500 coach as a head coach, there's a lot of outside factors that people don't know about that have gone into my development as a person and as a coach that has contributed to those things. But if you continue to learn and grow, those ideas are going to turn into you know, what you believe. And then you got to go all in at that. Like you can't keep changing your ideas and your different things. You got to morph and, and, you know, grow. But once you figure out where your truths are, you live them every day. Yeah. Living yeah. them every day and, and every time, because as soon as you cut a corner on being healthy in your life, if that's something that you model and then the people beneath you next to you see that and they see that and they go for that as well. And it takes a lot of effort and energy to model that behavior as a leader constantly and continually. So with that, how do you keep yourself energized in order to do that? Whether that's through workout, mindfulness practices, fishing, whatever it is, how do you keep yourself energized? I genuinely love to talk to people. I just enjoy, you know, talking on the phone. I enjoy reconnecting with people, trying to create authentic relationships. And it's one thing that I value as a coach that I think makes me different than a lot of people is genuine relationships and I genuinely care about human beings. I think all those things you know, are important. You we should value as a person. There's a really good tweet this morning from John Ralstein if you want to look that up, but it, it was really good and I don't even remember like there was some stuff in it, but one is like, hey, don't put your health on the shelf. I've gained weight as I've gotten older and you know your health and you're busy. You have to prioritize what you find important. If that's working out, as working out if that's you know being present and spending more time with your family or working harder in the morning so you can do that whether it's waking up at a certain time whether it's developing your staff whatever you find is the most important thing that's what you have to do every single day and you know for me what keeps me going you know if you're useful you're useful if you're useless you're useless and every day when i wake up i've always kind of been a positive person and kind of a person that has a ton of energy and almost too much energy as a kid and it's funny, you know, we got an eight month old 
and she wakes up happy as ever. And you know, that, that makes me happy and proud. And she's the most talkative one at daycare. And I'm like, that's like, that's, that makes me proud. I want her to be an, you know, an extroverted human being that puts joy in other people's lives and always smiling. And people remember those bubbly people. You don't, you may remember the negative people, but you want to surround yourself with people that have juice. And that's what I think is really important. Let's talk about making decisions and let's frame it in recently. So since you've been a head coach at Southwest Mississippi Community College, what's something you've changed your mind about recently that you previously believed to be wholly true? This may sound like a Debbie Downer a little bit. The profession as a whole can put you through a blender and spit you out as nothing. People are getting fired that are good human beings that are doing things the right way. We have found that in higher education in this past year that money controls a lot of things. We have learned in the past year that you know our society of how you view and how you treat other people, like some people generally don't care about that. And it's depressing and it's hard. And if you are in the trenches with all sorts of human beings in some capacity, everybody's fighting their own battle. If you have your health, you have everything. If you have education as the greatest equalizer in our society. So how can you continue to help other people become better and the best versions of themselves and figure out what those reasons are and then make those reasons bigger to help you have a purpose or a passion for what you want. But the depressing thing is our profession in college coaching is so cutthroat and so political that sometimes it's like really, really frustrating to, in essence, I have a lot of really close friends. And when you get overlooked for a job or you don't get a job and someone like, it's so hard in this profession not to be like extremely bitter and just be better. But like, that stuff's hard, man. You know, like every job you apply for and you can't even get the person to call back or close friend. And then all of a sudden they just ignore you or, you know, people's true colors. But I've been on the other end of it too, where, you know, I post a job and I had a hundred applicants for an assistant job at Jugo. Like, what are we doing here? Like, this is just a wild profession and it's hard. I know it's what I want to do, but there's every, like, there's different days where you're like, holy smokes, man. And you, you know, you're one of them. Like you, you went through some stuff too. And it, in your head, you're like, why, how did this happen? Would I ever go back and do this again? Is it worth it? And you, it comes back to your reason. You know, what are your reasons? What do you value most? And I think every day you change that changes, that changes with life, you know, your health, your people around you, who do you love the most? What do you care most about? And what's your purpose as a person? You know, at the end of the day, we're all going to die. And on that gravestone, it's going to have a dash. And usually it's one or two or three or none words. Loving dad, coach, husband, like we're all the same at the end of the day. So what are you going to do in between that dash? You know, that's, that's really what it is. So is that depressing? It's changed my mindset a little bit. Living where, you know, in, in Mississippi is challenging, not having our family around and, you know, but I'm a head coach at a young age. Like you can kind of perceive it however you want to perceive it, but, you know, take it all in, be where your feet are, grass is greener where you water it and you just keep working. And I think I genuinely believe things happen for a reason. You don't always know what those are, um, but later in life, I think you kind of look back and you're like, huh, 
I dodged a bullet there, or wow, I'm very grateful that that happened, or thankful that person came into my life. And I think that's what life's about. Yeah. Well, distance gives us clarity for sure. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, it's interesting that our lives came together, even though we grew up 12 miles apart from each other at the University of Minnesota when you were working there and I was, uh, you know, working camps in the summertime. And it's just funny how that happens. And look, here we are today. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So you've talked a little bit about, or you've talked, I should say, a lot about your program and shared a lot of the insights. Can you tell me about an upcoming project that you have, whether it's with your program or something personal in your life that you're excited about and your motivations with it? Yeah, good question. I've been working on this. I don't know. I work with a leadership coach, you know, Scott Savore. I think he was on your show. And one thing that he talked about is figure out, you know, who, what's your identity or your niche as a coach. So mine's like recruiting relationships. I can solve problems quickly and efficiently. And then culture, I can deliver any type of system with clarity and conviction. And one thing that I feel like I'm different and, you know, we have challenges at every job that you're at. You have negative things. And if you focus on those negative things, they're not going to help you. You have to find a way to either hide them or, you know, disguise them or make them better. And for me, like, I love to recruit, you know, typically, like, I, I don't know, stereotypically, not always like the right, you know, what you would place me as, but I genuinely love to recruit. And so I've been working on this I was on the virtual coaches clinic It's going to be on coach tube. I did that last week, an uncommon recruiting specific to your culture. But there's a lady named Heather Macy, Coach Heather Macy. She's a coach and assistant AD at Greensboro College. She used to be at ECU. She was a head coach at ECU, and she was one of the best recruiters. And uh, and she's very strong in the psychological aspect of human beings and written a book and, you know, different things. And so we're going to get together at the end of the month and do like a podcast slash seminar, keep, you know, recruiting seminar. And I'm going to reveal some of my secrets and what I do and how I evaluate and how, you know, I, you know, evaluate a roster, what I go through, process, culture, some of the, you know, core values and controllables that we have, you know, some of the stuff that we've kind of dabbled in, but go to a different level. Some of the unique team bonding activities that we do from a family tree to a, if I only knew page, we have an adversity boot camp. we call it ABC. We do a song fest. You know, we talk about that name image likeness thing is huge and if people aren't ahead on that like i have some ideas and i talk to a lot of people and so i'm like gathering up ideas if you know in the event that i i somehow end up on a division one staff in the coming years i don't really know what that looks like but you know different things you know academically how we've done what we've done we've had the highest gpa in the country first or second each of the last six years in our program and how we do things is i think is different and so sharing some of those ideas and, you know, finding ways to help other people. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you're trying to build a brand. And I think that will help me build my brand. So we're working on that right now. I think it'll be really cool. She has her own podcast and she's really, really good and powerful woman. And, you know, I just really enjoy talking with her. And so, you know, she's just someone I connected with and we're going to do that over Memorial Day. And that's the one project I've been working on and put it together. It's hard to put your ideas on paper to make them reteachable and do it without word vomiting on people <laughs> like i over talked in this whole thing and you know my goal should be hey get my point across in 60 to 75 seconds like if you can't jump into people's body they're only gonna listen for so long you can't keep up with people's attention span especially younger generation but hey i want to 
stimulate you in 15 seconds. And when I actually coach and don't get a, don't ramble, like it's, I try and teach very clearly. And so, but that's the project that I've been working on. All right. Well, I'll find that when it comes out and I'll link it and I'll just tease a little bit. I like the family tree activity that you mentioned yeah. very briefly there. So, so I won't steal that any thunder there. So let's finish up on this fun question for you. In an alternate universe, you could have any superhero power. What would it be? And what would you do with that superhero power? <laughs> I don't even know if it's a superhero power, but my I was telling my wife about something and she had never seen the Back to the Future movies. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You've never seen these. And they're, they're kind of corny. They're kind of funny. But like, I remember that movie's details. I only saw it once or twice, maybe. But I remember like every detail from that movie. And I don't know why, but like I'll watch a movie and, and then like two years later, we'll see it on Amazon Prime or something. And I'll be like, oh, Kirstie, we haven't seen this one. This one looks good. We saw that in the theaters, Brian. Like, I'm like, holy smokes. Like, and it happens all the time. But for some reason, Back to the Future is always stuck in my mind. Like the time travel to go back and try and like help you. Like, hey, maybe go back and tell you, hey, buy some Bitcoin in 2000, <laughs> 2010 or, you know, something like that. Or don't sell it. You know, because, you know, I had some and I sold it way, way, way too early. You know, like you could change your life if you went back and changed a few things or, you know, so I would say time travel. You know, I think that would be really, really impactful to, you know, learn quicker, you know, in some capacity. But you can't change the alternate universe. That's like the theme of, you know, Back to the Future. So if you haven't seen Back to the Future, go back and watch at least one and two. Three is a little weird, but one and two, you'll really like those we'll do it well coach bender thank you so much for your time and thank you for coming on a competitive mindset that was good thank you next time on competitive mindset when you walk on the wood in your house it's a different floor than the one you walked on at the arena right so different floors require different mindsets competitive mindset music was produced by dj jojo moore and all images were created by elena keel be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.